The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. We will kick things off as we do every day with our afternoon update, catching you up on all that has happened today, the stories that matter most. And with me for the afternoon update today, Jared Howland, public affairs consultant and Irish Times columnist, and Sean O'Regan, News Talk reporter. And we might start with the Commonwealth. Um, Sean, for people maybe who haven't picked up a newspaper today, I mean, they should, because there's a great column from our other guest in studio in it uh, to be read. But if they haven't, they might not have seen uh, this survey. Uh, talk us through exactly what it has found. Well, this was published in the, this, this morning's edition of the Irish Times, Kieran. And before we get into what it found, a little bit of history first. Ireland left the Commonwealth in 1949 when the Republic of Ireland Act came into force. And back then, each member state was required to recognise the British monarch as their head of state. So unsurprisingly, when we look at the results today, most people in the Republic of Ireland voted that did vote don't have a bit of interest in rejoining the Commonwealth. Pollsters asked whether people would be interested in joining in two different ways, one which emphasised British history of the organisation, the other noting that most members are republics. So back home here in the Republic of Ireland, a majority, 51%, were negative towards the Commonwealth when its British heritage was emphasised. But this dropped to a minority of 40% when Ireland's similarity to existing Commonwealth members was emphasised. And over 60% of voters rejected the idea of membership in the event of a united Ireland. I don't think, Jared, we actually left the Commonwealth. I think that we were kicked out because we were a republic and then they quickly changed the rules because they realised India was going to be, become a republic about a year later. De Valera had this uh, fantastically well worked out and he organised it uh, quite quickly that on the application of King Edward VIII uh, we would bring in the office of president. Uh, here would be the head of state. Um, uh, the president obviously had been in office uh, already but was not, in fact, unbelievably, in the first instance, head of state, mm. because that was still with the king, and our ambassadors abroad were appointed by letters signed by the king uh, emperor in, in, in It's in amazing, London. isn't it? But he, de Valera, contrived that we would be in and out. And it was a delicate balance. You would need to be more a theologian, I think, than a lawyer uh, to understand uh, all con- the inferences. Constructive ambiguity uh, is uh, maybe uh, how one of his... Uh, 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 a lot of that. Other Fianna Fáil leaders might describe it. But his successor, John A. Costello, on a visit to Canada, uh, pulled us out in, pro- in short order. And there we've been ever since. You would have to be 74 years or older uh, to have been in an Ireland that was in the Commonwealth. So nobody know, here really knows anything about it. So that survey in the Irish Times, which is part of a series of in-depth surveys of attitudes around Northern Ireland, British-Irish issues, is very useful. But it's also not a real issue now or in the foreseeable future and whether it becomes so I think it'll be a long time before it ever does. The Commonwealth in the meantime has obviously changed a lot and some commentary about it is that uh, King Charles III will probably be or maybe the last British monarch who is automatically by dint of inheritance as King of England Mm. and Great Britain, the head of the Commonwealth and it might be in fact a, a more rotating thing. And as time goes on, the Empire which it came out of, becomes ever more distant. Uh, So, um, you know, the 21st century relevance of the Commonwealth will be probably less than the 20th century relevance of it, even for its own members, let alone for us. Yeah. I mean, there'll be people at home, regardless of whether we should join or not, and it being the kind of the price of a peaceful unity, set all that aside. And the more basic question they might have is, I mean, what is it? What does it do? What's the point? 
of it. Uh, very little. It's nostalgia. It's one point, but it's not a nostalgia we share in. I mean, if, if it uh, made anyone else happier in Northern Ireland, I don't think it would be much of a price to pay, frankly. Mm. I don't really think there's much in it one way or the other. Uh, but it's it's long forgotten here. I think that what that survey, Sean, shows is it's just not on anyone's mind. It's not in their mental landscape at all. Sean, would you rejoin, entertain rejoining the Commonwealth? for the sake of unity, peaceful unity? Personally, no. I see like there's 56 countries in the Commonwealth at the minute and the last country to join was back in 2022. It was Togo. What's the process in getting involved here? Is it a long-winded... If Togo, I don't think, has, well, has had any British colonial heritage history, did it? I'm not an expert on Togo and you've caught me on the hook. I, th- I don't think it did. I think they were like the first kind of outside applicants. And what does that, was that a long process that it had, they had to go through? Like, is this going to take up a lot of time and resources if we were genuinely serious about getting involved in the Commonwealth and pledging our allegiance elsewhere? I suspect if you were given the application form, it will be on the basis you are already in. <laughs> I think so. I think like many golf clubs up yes. and down the country. Uh, if Ireland is to be united, it has to be a republic. And if anyone doesn't like that, then tough. Well, there are lots and lots of republics in the Commonwealth uh, these days. As somebody else says, the Commonwealth is just a loose association of nations and even includes some countries that were never colonised by Britain. India became a republic and chose to join the Commonwealth or remain in it. So we shouldn't have a hang up about joining if it is to our advantage. I, I'm not sure there'd be... I don't think there'd be any negative consequences, but it's a struggle to wonder what the positive consequences might be of rejoining the Commonwealth. I I, I struggle, unless in some future reconstitutional consideration of the island of Ireland, it was felt to be helpful. All right. Uh, Well, listen, we will uh, discuss this maybe a little bit later again on the show. In the meantime, uh, Sean, uh, the RSA have been warning about attitudes to drink driving as well today. What have they said? Yeah, we've heard from the RSA today, Kieran. One in 10 motorists have driven after drinking in the last 12 months. This survey also found 14% of men admitted to drink driving, which is twice as much compared to the 6% of women. Almost 30%, meanwhile, of those surveyed admitted to having two or more drinks the last time they drove while under the influence. There's plenty of stats. There's a lot of information in this. But one that jumped out to me was that 73% of motorists surveyed agreed with the statement. Most of my friends, acquaintances think driving under the influence of alcohol is unacceptable. Now, that's 73%. There's a a concern and decline there because back in 2019, the figure to that statement stood at 85%. So it begs the question, what's going on? Why has 12% of people dropped off there? And we caught up with Liz O'Donnell, who's the chairperson of the Road Safety Authority. And she says young men are a very vulnerable cohort. Across the board, people are still taking a risk and driving. Now, we know that uh, male drivers tend to speed and tend to misbehave on the road, put it that way. And they're a serious, uh, it's a serious cohort at which we are focusing on many of our campaigns because uh, so many uh, of the fatalities involve young male drivers. Yeah, that was Liz O'Donnell speaking a little bit earlier today. Jared, I guess uh, uh, Sean's right. I mean, there's an awful lot in this survey that they um, ha- have published this afternoon. Uh, what does stand out is that possible change in attitude, that fewer people, it appears, younger people are as put out by the concept of drink driving. They don't think it's as big a deal. Well, drink driving is socialised murder. And people who are dead may sometimes paradoxically be better off than the ones who are still alive but horribly maimed. 
Uh, and this drop in concern uh, is really startling. So as Sean said, there's a 12% drop in the number of people concerned. But what we're not really clear on is of the 73% who are still concerned, are they as concerned as they were previously? Mm. Um, and clearly, there's, there's a creep back into what was once an appalling culture, but then really dramatically improved. And it was a combination of education, enforcement and peer pressure. And clearly, uh, when it comes to uh, behaviour of, of that kind, uh, you ha- it's never over and the pressure has to be constantly kept on. And I think in terms of education and in terms of enforcement, it needs to be ratcheted up very significantly again. That is the most common criticism or refrain when it comes to road traffic issues that we hear on this show is, is enforcement mm. and a lack of enforcement and the perception out there that people will continue to try and get away with things because they think they can get away with them. Yeah, this, this always creeps in. So if you have new drivers coming on the road and they're driving in a situation over a few years where there's not a lot of enforcement or enforcement is not as intense, that becomes a new normal. If you've been driving for a long time, but again, enforcement has dropped back, uh, that becomes a new normal for you. Laxity is our default position, most of us, actually, yeah. truthfully. Um Sean, you are the youngest person in studio. Um, do you perceive a a laxer attitude to drink driving among some of your peers or younger friends? I do now, being honest with you, I haven't seen none of my close mates or any people that I socialise with would drink and drive. We do get taxis home, get buses home, alternative modes of transport, which is clearly the right way. But it does seem that we see the whole time we're getting figures in that the roads policing unit has dropped Do we have the bodies on the streets or on the roads to try and tackle this? Because like we have 11 people, six drivers, two passengers, two pedestrians and a motorcyclist Mm. have died since the turn of the year. Those numbers are a lot of, I think it's about four or five. I'm not 100% on that figure, but four or five more than this day last year. And last year, of course, we ended up with the highest figures we'd had in several years. 184. And just beside where I live uh, in Manor Street in Dublin 7, a woman crossing the road was shockingly killed a few weeks ago. So, you know, it's real. It's near you. Mm. And it could come much closer to you than, than you want. So it's a big policy issue. It's a big resource issue. And it came down for a reason in the early noughties. You know, public concern really reached uh, a crescendo. Uh, the government had to, to move yeah. allocate resources. But we, we've done it before, so we can yeah, do it, it again. Not, and it's not, it's not rocket science. Yeah. It, it, it is continuously... Uh, keeping, if you excuse the pun, the foot on the pedal in terms of pressure on people and their behaviours. All right. Uh, well, listen, uh, that is um, uh, on the back of figures published by the uh, Road Safety Authority today. We're actually going to be talking about road safety in slightly different context later in the show. Geraldine Herbert will be with me. Uh, she has a really interesting piece of the paper today uh, comparing road traffic accidents and deaths in Ireland with uh, our Scandinavian neighbours and what we can learn uh, in that regard. Theirs is a much lower much lower rate of accident uh, in those countries. Um, I want to ask about NECAP and their uh, film premiering at the Sundance Film Festival. Joe, you were wildly excited about this, yeah, I understand. Well, but NECAP, what I now know about NECAP is I have to go and see this. Oh, really? Uh, because I'm out of the loop and they're obviously really fun, fascinating, hip and, and witted. And uh, the fact that they brought an Irish language film off Fun, the fascinating, hip and with it. <laughs> well, this is they should put this, this on their poster now. You know the way they have little reviews. Yeah. Jared Howland. I, I, Irish I'm Times up, I'm up Fun, for, fascinating, hip and with it. I'm up for anything new. I have a couple of cupola focal lodged in the back of my brain. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, what can you tell us about this, Sean? 
Yeah, so this is being branded as one of the most eagerly anticipated Irish films in recent years and it had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival in Utah last night. The reaction from the crowd, they were loving it. Raucous applause as the credits rolled and laughter throughout. It marks the first time an Irish language film has screened at the festival with the three lads, their names Makara, Makabli Bap and DJ Provi making their acting debuts. Little quick synopsis on it. It's set in West Belfast in 2019 and follows how fate brings the trio together and how they then go on to change the sound of Irish music forever. Is Michael Fassbender in it? He is. I think Michael Fassbender yep. features mm. in it. My God. Uh, are we experiencing, Joe, when you look at this in tandem with um, the success of the Golden Globes and all the nominations for BAFTAs and the anticipated nominations for Academy Awards and all the Academy Award mm. nominations last year, albeit... Uh, not a huge amount of victories. Are we experiencing something of a, a cultural revival? A cultural moment? I think certainly in the art form of film and, and perhaps in, in, in writing as well. And these things ebb and flow. Uh, and what you've got to remember about every film or every... Uh, Booker play, Prize, I forgot to even mention Booker that. Pri- in, in, indeed, is that every piece of art and artist comes out of an ecosystem of other artists. So for example, the film is a combination of so much talent in, in so many ways. And the state loves to claim credit. The state loves to be at the premiere and at the award ceremony. And it's good that we do because we, we give a lot of like money. Like Charlie Hockey on the Champs-Élysées. On, on the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> but when we take pride in their achievement, we do have to remember in terms of arts funding across the board over years, it's really important. And what these people give, most of whom earn next to feck all for most of their careers. Mm. And some of them fail completely. And a lot of the work they create fails before they achieve success. And arts funding is the respect we pay to those people and their achievements. Lots of people are still getting in touch about our membership or otherwise of the Commonwealth mm. uh, beyond anything else. It's falling apart, suggests one listener. Victoria, Australia cancelled their Commonwealth Games in two years. Somebody else says we should only rejoin if they allow hurling into the Commonwealth Games. Then a Kilkenny man, Kieran, might have a chance of winning <laughs> a, a global medal. Uh, another listener, uh, rejoin the Commonwealth is this April Fools. And Pat from Cork, we should rejoin the UK and the Commonwealth. This country with the governments we have has proven over and over again we can't run ourselves. My father texted in mid-conversation to say, I think Mozambique was the first non-British colonial country to join the Commonwealth. You need him on this show. He he, he needs to find something to do in the afternoon (laughs) instead of texting into radio stations. Uh, Listen, before I let you go, Jared, I just want to ask you very briefly because I mentioned your column in the paper that people should be reading uh, today. I found it an interesting read, as always, a suggestion that um, we are not just going through a phase in this country. We are kind of in in Terra Nova. Is that fair? Well, I think we are in new territory, uh, which I assume is what that means. I hope, I got <laughs> I, right. I, yeah, I hope um, so too. Uh, to My dad will text in and correct me. Don't worry, George. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, they, they, I think there was an age of optimism on this island. It was There was a world context after the fall of the Berlin Wall, the expansive democracy of globalisation. And then we had our own fall of the Berlin Wall in the context of the Good Friday Agreement, which was genuinely an enormous epoch-making achievement, a source of enormous pride and accompanied by a, a, an unbelievable Unbelievable at uh, uh, economic um, height in 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 the noughties, and maybe in part we did lose the run of ourselves to, to some extent. But that optimism, uh, I think, I have a sense now in the last two or three years, uh, is really uh, fraying. Mm. There's a lot of angst out there even among people who would have to say, well, aren't they doing all right? Aren't they employed and don't they seem to have the car and things seem to be okay? But, the, but there, is, there is an angst out there that is incommensurate with the apparent 
success and prosperity of the economy and the society as a whole. And it, it then it finds particular issues and causes uh, around refugees as one, which is partly around real, real concerns in real places. Yeah. But it's, it's also overlaid by that. I was talking to a counsellor uh, during COVID and he said something I've never forgotten. He said something happened during COVID because people would get in touch with you about small little issues, the street mm-hmm. lamp and the parking yeah. and all the rest. He said the level of aggression during COVID, he as a counsellor was feeling accelerated. So people who would get on to you about this or that were now at home a lot and seemed to have a lot more time to focus on this or that and were becoming more and more obsessed about little things, more aggressive in how they were complaining and dealing with things. And I think whether it's COVID, whether it's particular issues, whether that we're more and more sucked into the screens and the apps and and the social media and talking to each other in a relatively relaxed way, less than we should or less than we did before. Mm. I do have a sense there's a bit of tension in our society. All right. Well, listen, uh, it is uh, in the paper today, Gerard Scotland, if you want to read about uh, his uh, views in more detail Always recommend us, Jared. Listen, thanks for Thank you for coming much, into us in studio. Jared Highland, Public Affairs Consultant, as well as Irish Times Consultant and columnist, rather, and uh, Sean O'Regan, our own reporter here in News Talk. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.